Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We've been talking about 2020 vision, and we've been talking about how, what is God's vision and how do we know it? Of course, this is going to be my last week to get to wear a t-shirt with you guys. I, probably, I don't know. I, I wish it wasn't that way, but so I'm wearing our vision t-shirt, and if you wore yours, I think it was only Zay. Did I see Zay in the house? Zay, you know what? You get a gift card, son. You know what? Because I like you. That's what you get. It says to you from me. Yeah, that's right. All week I was like, I want to give stuff away this week. I want to get, I want to like bless the people. And I'm like, is that cheesy? Are you, are we allowed to do that in church? Are we allowed to have fun at church? Was Jesus fun? Yes, he was way more than we give credit to. So, but as we continue talking about vision, vision for your life, vision for our church, vision for what God wants to do in the world. I hope that you've been tracking with us. And if you missed some of the weeks, uh, go back and look on our podcast, no matter what kind of phone you have, even iPhones on their, on that podcast app, even iPhones can actually download, unless it's Tara's phone, which doesn't work at all. Or iPhone, it's just kaput. But if you have an Android, definitely will be real easy to find. Just look for a manual assembly on there. And go back and listen to week one. On January 5th, when we kicked off the year, it was just a great way for us to encapsulate what vision is. And if you weren't with us, we'll just do a little bit of catch up here. You know, we talked about how the Hallmark verse, when we talk about vision, coming out of Proverbs Proverbs 29, if it's going to move with me, Christian, did it move with me or did you have to do that? Okay. The Proverbs says here that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. This is the ESV translation that where there is no prophetic vision, and I love the way that they've translated that, the people cast off restraint. They don't know their lane. They don't know where they're supposed to be running. They, they end up off course because they don't have God's inspiration and his Holy Spirit's guidance for their life. And speaking of, of the people of Israel, of course, we saw how that worked, how the prophets would come to bring them back and remind them of God's plan and his word for their life. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And you, you heard how I just love how the proverb here marries both the importance of the prophets and the law, the word of God, but also his spirit's inspiration behind that to remind us of everything, right? The Holy Spirit came to remind us of everything that Jesus had taught us. He doesn't really tell us much new, but he brings inspiration and he equips us and he empowers us and he gives us that strength that we need from him and from him alone to be able to carry that out in our lives. And that's what I love about God's vision for our life. And as you guys have heard us say, we've walked through these three words. And this is the vision for our church, my vision for you as an individual, for myself. Encounter, connect, grow. What a great picture of, of Knoxville right there, right? Downtown. I wish it was, uh, I wish there were leaves on the tree right now, but they're not. But encountering God, that's, you see the cloud by day and the, fi the fire by night. That's intentional that when we encounter the Lord, we see that he is the one that is leading us. He is the one that is guiding us and he desires to fellowship with us. We've seen that as we talked about in week two, that that was his desire from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he desired to meet with us. And this is our, our vision. We say that we are a community of believers creating an atmosphere to encounter and know God. Encountering. And then we talk about connect. How do we connect with one another? We hope that we are also that same community of believers connecting people to real relationships 
that cause us to thrive in our faith. Thus, you got the signups in the back right now for life groups. We're gonna be kicking those off in February. We're, uh, we're taking everybody's names down now, gonna be dividing up and finding out when the, the most, you know, the best dates are for you guys during the week. And, but life groups is so important that we do life together, that we stay connected because we realize that we are so much better, not alone, but together. It is a cord of three strands that is not easily broken. It's when we are tightly wound together with one another that we get to see the benefits of how God has created us. It was funny, I was with a friend of mine this week on Friday, we were sharing with a residency program here uh, in Knoxville. And I had reconnected with this, um, this young man, Daniel Park. He just started a new initiative uh, with pastor out of fellowship, Rick Dunn, called the Sequoia Collective. And a lot of what they're doing is going in and doing uh, training, creating culture and businesses, churches, organizations. And he's been helping me with our full-time job with Kiko at our organization, creating healthy culture. And one of the cool things that he shared with this, this residency program, mostly college grads that are interested in going into the ministry or in the nonprofit world. And he shared with them about how we learn about empathy and the, and the need to be connected to others. And he, and he put up on the screen, he said, how trees can help. And it looked a little hokey, I'll be honest. And as he continued to talk, he, he talked about how trees and particularly oaks, the bigger trees, how they literally communicate with one another through their root system. There's a German forester that does, uh, has written an article extensively on this. And he talks about how that literally when one tree is sick, they begin to communicate through their roots to the other trees that they need nutrients and they need help. If only we were that smart sometimes, right? If only we were willing to communicate as well when we needed help. Because what we have to realize is that the taller we are, right? The, the, the longer we're going to fall, the bigger we have to come crashing down, the more we have to lose. But if we decided that, hey, it's not because of how deep our roots are, because that's not the case with most, most large trees, but it's more about how they're connected to those around them. And when we're connected well, the way that God has designed us to be connected, we begin to see, this is how I discern the body of Christ. This is how I recognize that in someone else's strength, I'm able to benefit from their grace and the lane that they're running in when I need it and when I need help. And so we want to be connected. We want to encounter God. We want to connect to one another. But then we also want to grow. We want to cultivate believers towards imitating Christ in pursuit of those that are far from God. We believe that we are going to grow as individuals. We believe that, yes, we're going to grow and see those that are far from God join his family that have not yet come into the fold, so to speak. But we also believe that we're going to grow as God calls us to make an impact in our community and around the world. That we're going to support those. I love it. This last week, Mary and I have had the privilege. We've gotten some folks that have contacted us, some missionaries um, that we've been able to pick up in our monthly giving. I think we've added two or three in the last two weeks. Brand new missionaries. Ones I just um, heard about a children's pastor that I see every year when I take kids to camp uh, in Goodlettsville. When we take kids to camp up there, they've just become ambassadors to go to Peru. And so I was like, I want to have you to the church. I want you to share. I was like, have you already, do you already have your, your number? Can we start supporting you guys? And, and that's the beauty of it is when we're connected, we can see God's kingdom grow and move forward together because it's not about competition or comparison. It's about the kingdom, isn't it? It's about the kingdom of God. And so just to recap quickly, from the beginning, Adam and Eve heard that sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I hope that as you start this year, no matter where you're at spiritually, mentally, 
that you would say, Lord, I just want to meet with you this year. I want that to be a priority. I want that to be a vision for 2020 in my life, that I would hear the sound of you coming, that I would recognize your voice because I have communed with you, because I have intentionally prioritized hearing your voice, knowing that you're coming to meet with me. That's his desire. That's the way he created us from the very beginning. And I love what he goes on to say as the Lord came in and and he said, the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? And we know what happened. Adam said, I heard, I heard the sound of you coming. And instead of responding with anticipation or excitement, there was shame and there was guilt. He was afraid because he was naked. And you heard me last week uh, compare this idea of when the sound of the Lord came, that Adam would literally withdraw from the Lord, that he would, he would hide behind because of what he felt like he couldn't come into, that he used to be able to come to because of what sin had done. But it, reminded, it reminds me of what happens on that great mount, Mount Sinai with Moses, as the people heard the sound of the Lord coming down, down upon that mountain, and they were terrified. And so they send someone else up on that hill. And I've told you guys time and time again, and you're going to hear it from me, is that the Lord did not design you to send someone else to hear from him on your behalf. But he has designed you to be a part of a priesthood of all believers. We are all called to know him intimately, to hear his word, to go out. And while there are offices and roles, which we'll get to later this morning, we are called to do the works of service together. We are all called. I'm not called to the ministry. We are called to the ministry. We are called to minister to those that are far from God. And this is the beginning when we encounter him together. And, and I don't know if you're, you're trying to figure out what's next, where you're at in your journey, your season. If it's from, uh, you know, I've, I've got an empty nest to I'm getting ready to retire or wherever it may be. There's always the point where we have to hear from the Lord and the Lord alone on what he has for us in this season of our life. In making our plans, he allows us to make our plans. But what does the proverb say? He directs our path. And to me, that's the beauty of it, is that even while we're making our plans, the Lord is orchestrating all things. And we have to know from him and discern that. What, Lord, are you up to? What are you doing in this season of my life? And God desires to meet with his creation, to be their God and they his people. This has never, never changed. It has never changed. And we'll get there as, uh, as, as we think about some of these things. I think about how that comparison to Moses on the Mount, Paul writes about this so vividly, and we briefly mentioned it in, in how he it kind of expounds upon it as he writes to the, the church in Corinth. And he says, you know, the things that, that were under Moses, they were temporary, right? But the new glory that we have through Jesus, it's eternal. The things that we saw under the law in the, in the old covenant, it was fading. And I think that was part of the reason that, that Paul talks about that Moses would cover his face. I think part of it was not only were the people afraid to look upon what he had seen and what was now emanating from him, the glory of God, but there was also this aspect of it's not forever. It is fading. There's this embarrassment that what I have encountered is not going to carry on. But yet the one we have with the Lord with the Holy Spirit increases from glory to glory. It is not fading. The former was based on us. You had to offer a sacrifice. You had to appease for your sins. You had to come and present time and time again, over and over to rectify the things that you had to find atonement for. But the new covenant, oh, I'm so grateful. It is based on him. 
It is based on his perfection. It is based on what he did once and for all that we now can benefit from. And I don't know about you, this is a struggle in my life to recognize that God's not looking for a sacrifice from me. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for a heart that is just willing to say, I receive what you've done for me, Jesus. And out of gratitude, I respond. I just want to lift a burden off of some folks. You know, maybe when you feel like you've let God down or let yourself down or your family down, that you don't have to make up for those things. You don't have to earn God's good grace again. You can lift off that condemnation and that guilt because it is when we confess our sins. James tells us this, that if you want to find healing, talking about being connected again, when we've encountered the Lord, it is when we confess our sins to one another that we find healing. If healing is what you're after, James says, confess it to one another. I'd be careful with your other, right? Know, know who you can talk to, who would be healthy there. I wouldn't just, you know, Facebook is not the other, okay? Facebook is not the confession point. That is not the, the curtain that you want to go behind. <laughs> Somebody's uh, identifying with that one. But, I, but if healing is what you're after, find that person, that one, that two, those three friends that you can just be yourself with, that you can let your hair down with, that you can say, man, I'm really struggling. I can't believe I found myself. Don't carry that shame and that guilt because the enemy wants to isolate us. He wants us to walk in that alone. He wants to box us in. He wants us to think that that's who we are and that we'll never overcome that. But instead, we realize that we're better together. That when I see that my roots cry out for help to others, that yes, we will be oaks of righteousness because of what he has done and because we walk in fellowship with one another. Amen? Paul writes this, in Philippians chapter three, and if you have a Bible, you can. we're gonna spend a few moments here talking about vision for your life this year. Philippians chapter three, if you're dialing it up, we're gonna start in verse eight. Because I believe that when we encounter Christ, our lives are forever marked as his children. I'm not getting into internal security. We can save that for a different day. But when we have tasted and experienced God's kindness, that's what leads us towards transformation, towards repentance. And when we taste his goodness, we realize nothing else will satisfy. We find the one thing, as David would call it, that we were created to experience. And I believe Paul was writing about that. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I literally, for whose sake, I, I'm going to literally consider them garbage or a pile of dung would be a more accurate translation that I may know Christ. And Paul isn't talking about all the bad things he's done. Instead, he's just given a long list of all the good things that he has accomplished. All the things that he would, that you would put on your resume. Can you imagine taking your resume, the things that you're trying to sell yourself with and say, literally, this is worthless if I could just know Jesus. This does not accomplish knowing him because what he has done isn't based off of this unless he's written it, unless he has done it. And that's what Paul has done. He's given his resume and he says, oh, that I would be in verse nine, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What a burden to carry that Jesus has set us free from. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. I may need your help here, Christian. It just like went crazy. 
It's based on faith. And I love how Abram, he, it, was, it was considered righteousness in his, in his favor, in his credit, because he responded with faith. And we mentioned that, right? One of the first missionaries Abram's asked to go, he, he says, yes, he packs up his bags, he leaves, he's ready to go. He's ready to respond to maybe even the one that he didn't know. And maybe you've already said yes to the Lord and you've, you've even gone through some transitions that you feel like God's navigated your path and your life towards. But today he is still asking for the same response of faith because that is what he's involved in. That's where he rewards. He can meet you when you're not dependent upon yourself. He can meet you when you're dependent upon him. It's when we draw near to him that he draw nears to us. And it is that same faith that we see here was credited as righteousness that Paul wants to be a part of. And so verse 10, if you'll move to that for me, Christian. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and even participate in his sufferings. And this is where we don't usually get as many uh, amens. I'll just be honest. Um, how many of you would like to participate in Jesus' sufferings? We're going to have a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, you know, we'd love for you to, cu- to come out. We're going to have some floggings. And, right, we don't, we don't just, you know, self-emulate those things. But literally, <laughs> what Paul is saying is, hey, you want to know the fullness of Jesus? Embrace the whole process. If you want to know life, don't shortcut the suffering that he also had to go through. And I'm not talking about the things that we go through because we made poor choices. And I'm not talking about the things we go through because life does just happen. That is all true. But I'm talking about the sufferings for righteousness sake, the things that we have had to sacrifice, the things that maybe we even had to see brought upon ourselves, the perspectives of others around us. And we don't face this as much in America. We're pretty, it's pretty cush. Let's just, let's just admit it, right? I mean, the life that we're living now, the, maybe the libertarians are making it a little harder. I don't know. We see a little bit of an opportunity to stand up for what we believe is righteous and just, but we're not, our, our life's not on the line. We're not, you were able to come to church freely this morning. You could have slept in freely too. Nobody would have hounded you. No one would have thought less or more of you. But if we will embrace the process of what God is trying to form within us, his image as we encounter him, that we would see it from glory to glory, transforming the different avenues and aspects of our life, that his good news of what he has already done would work out into every area of our life. Then we'll be able to respond with faith, faith that pleases the Lord. And that's what we're pressing on to, Paul says here. He says, this is what I want to press on to, knowing him even in his death. Not that I've already obtained all this in verse 12 or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which he has taken hold of me. And I'm gonna close this out because Christian, you may have to control it from now on. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you this morning on It is because of the fellowship that we have with God after encountering him that we can push through this and realize that there is a fellowship that we were intended to have that we talked about and that was being connected. And some of you guys came last uh, Sunday as we pushed about the the women's uh, meeting that they were having and we had a great, they had a great turnout, but it doesn't just start and end there. There's still the, the risk of communal living that we have to take of saying, hey, I, I need to be connected to his body. I have fellowship with God, but if we stay right there and isolate ourselves, the enemy will be able to pick us off. And I don't believe that that's God's vision or, or his purpose and plan for you this year at all. 
Instead, I want you to turn with me in 1 John 1, verse 3. And these verses I'm going to read in a different translation. I'm going to read them in the NIV. Uh, that's what I learned them in. So if you ever see me go to the NIV, it's probably because I memorized them there first. <laughs> Honestly, that's the reason. I had a Bible teacher uh, in high school, Mr. Job. He was a missionary before from Italy, and he put such a high value on memorizing Scripture. He challenged me my freshman year of high school to memorize a few books of the Bible with him. It changed my life. Uh, we memorized 1 John together. We memorized Ephesians together. Um, if you're ever, especially high schoolers, I would just photo photocopy a few pages of a book and start with a few verses a day and memorize your way through a chapter, recite it, memorize your way through the next chapter. It will transform your thinking. It will transform you. So 1 John, looking at chapter 3, verse 3, he's saying, that which we have heard from the beginning, that which we have seen and tasted and touched, he's talking about we've encountered Jesus. He's talking about an encounter. He says, this is what we proclaim to you, that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. The reason we're proclaiming right now what we have seen and heard, our encounter, what I have encountered in the Lord, is so that my fellowship isn't just limited to what I have with God, but that I would have fellowship with you as well. That's what John is saying here. He says, we're proclaiming to you so that we also may have fellowship with you. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And then in verse four, I love this, this next verse. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. There will be a level, there will be a large level of dissatisfaction when we're not connected to God. We know that we were created to know him and to fellowship with him and to find our purpose and, and, to, and to follow him. But there is also another level of dissatisfaction when we're not connected to his people. It says here that we write this to make our joy complete. When we are connected to one another, there is another layer of joy that we begin to walk in because we realize that we're not walking this journey alone, that we're doing it with the support of others, that we also are being challenged and transformed that as iron sharpens iron, we can see that other people are in this with us and can hold our arms up. Ecclesiastes chapter four, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Verse 10, for if, they, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And for me, this is what I want us to begin to walk through the whole journey of our encounter with the Lord, being connected together and how it's going to lead to growth, which is where we're going to really focus our time today. Growth for you personally, growth for the, the church at large in our city, growth globally as we see his kingdom extended through the people that are on the front lines in unreached people groups, growth as we see what God wants to do in and through us. And this is the plumb line, as you've heard me say with our theology, that I believe Paul brings up in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Christian, if you cut there real quick. This is a doxology that Paul is, is about to give in these next few verses. And I'm going to go into chapter 12. That's where I want to lead to those next verses. 
But this doxology for me is literally how I would measure anything, whether it's the vision God has for your life, whether it's what you view on prosperity or what you think about um, God's view for your relationships or salvation or healing, that this is what I believe it can be measured by, this doxology that Paul gives at the end. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. 34. Who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And then this is it. 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So for from him, and, and I think we sang this in our last song, for from him are all things and to him are all things. I think this, it's, the words are, are literally pulled out of this doxology that Paul is writing because for us, everything has come from him, even our ability to have faith, our, our ability to have relationship with him. He is the initiator of it all. We're, we're utterly dependent on God for every ounce of our spiritual growth but yet there we have responsibility to say it has come from you. It has gone through you, but Lord, I'm going to allow it to process through this earthen vessel and go back to you. In a response of faith, I'm going to receive it. I'm going to recognize it. And I'm going to let you do what you want to do in my heart, in my relationships, Lord. I believe that they've come from you. I believe that you, I still stand on your promises that you can restore what has been broken, what who, the, the kid, my child that has wandered off from you, God. I believe that you can still bring him back or her back. I believe, God, that it can go back to you, that these promises can ultimately end up in your glory, Lord. I believe, God, that in the the health situations, and it's not just as simple as saying, well, God works all things out for the good, but he does. We'll hold on to his promises and we'll fight for those things. And we'll say, God, your word is true. Regardless of how I understand it in my circumstances right now, I'm going to say that it is from you and through you. And I want to see this go back to you. I want your name to be glorified in this process. Lord, help my heart to embrace this. And then we get into chapter 12. And and Paul says, and, and these are so often quoted, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper word. So I'm talking about growth. And I want us to grow together this year. And I believe though, it is going to be in response to encountering him and to knowing him more. You know, my prayer for us these past 21 days has come out of Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would have this spiritual wisdom and revelation that would cause us to know him better, that would cause us to grow in our knowledge of him. And that's here, that's what he's writing about here. He says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies. You can't offer yourself in response until you have viewed what he has done for you. And Paul continues in verse two, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And for a long time, I really thought that the renewing of our mind was was, okay, I just got to, I, I need to change. I've been thinking this way. I need to think this way. I, I, I've been, and there is some truth to that. There is some truth that we need the word of God and to hide it within our heart and to give, give the Holy Spirit uh, some ammunition, so to speak, to work with in our lives, to bring inspiration to, that we need to have right thinking before we have right living and that we need to, to meditate on his word day and night. That's where we find be- that blessed is he who meditates on the law. 
but but it is more than just, and do you guys understand what I mean by having right thinking over right living? Because I think our culture right now is so focused on behaviors versus what is going on in the heart and the mind. And right here, Paul is, is doing quite the opposite. He says, before you're able to even test and prove what God's will is, before you can ever flesh this out in your life, even know what it's meant to be, his vision for you, his purpose, his plan, you do need to have right thinking and it needs to be renewed. And I work with a lot of kids full time and, and sometimes we have to have crowd control. We have to have positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. You know, we do all that. But I realize I'm dealing with a behavior when I'm doing that sometimes. I'm responding to something that I don't really know always what's underneath the surface, what's been going on, what has triggered this. And a lot of times I'll do it, uh, and we've, a lot of the training we went through uh, as foster parents, we realized that behaviors are just exhibiting needs. The behaviors are actually showing that there's a need that's not being met the right way, the way God designed it. That there has probably been some love that was perverted or some attention that's being sought. There's, there's some things, there's some acceptance, there's some identity issues, and behaviors are oftentimes the, the things that we want to address, but we don't recognize that below the surface there's a therapeutic response that would probably be more healing than being punitive. You know what I mean? And we do this to ourselves, don't we? Rather than giving ourselves grace to be able to walk through a journey that God has us on, we'd rather Man, I mess up. I got to. I have again. I have to earn God's good grace back. I've got to do that. I just need to pray, and then maybe I'll start feeling better about myself. If I can just get this many days past having done that, then maybe I maybe I'll feel a little bit better about how God feels about me. I mean, I know I'm not the only one that does that sometimes in my mind. That warps God's perspective of me. But He says, "Oh, if you just knew how much, if you would renew your mind." If you would dwell on the ways that I think about you, if you would meditate on these things day and night, then you're going to be able to literally see my purposes in your life. You're going to be able to test, approve, and know God's will. If you're wondering what God's will is right now, begin right here. Begin right here, between the ears. That gray matter, it matters. Gray matter matters. I haven't seen any shirts that say that, but it matters. And as far as us being able to prove what God's life is for, for us, what his vision, what his purpose, his plan, we need to be able to be renewed in our minds. And one of the, the neat sciences that I love, and, and I'm going to use a word that I, I just want to use it because I think it'll make me sound smart, neuroplasticity. It is, it is this, the science of realizing that our brains can literally continue to change throughout our, our entire lives. There is the ability to rewire things. You've, you've developed this habit, this pattern, and you've, you've warped your brain to respond this way, to maybe self-medicate, to deal with stress, to deal with broken relationships, to deal when someone abandons you, to deal with hurt, to, deal, to defend yourself when someone says this kind of word to you, when you, you, uh, we quickly have our defaults that we've wired ourselves to think. But the beauty is the way God has designed us, scientists are figuring it out, the way God has designed us is that it can continually be transformed and changed. We can wire new pathways. There can be new ones born. I'm seeing it in my son who was, there's some damaged neurological pathways in his brain due to drug exposure in utero. And, and not because we adopted him, not, my, not because my wife used drugs. 
I don't know if she was using drugs when he was in his real mom's tummy or not. I don't know. But we realized when we sat there with Dr. Weinstein, his physiatrist, that yes, he, he is going to have some challenges. And this Jewish doctor tells me, but he can overcome them. I'm like, I know he can. I know he can. Because my God can do that. He can do this for all of us, regardless of the trauma, regardless of the history, regardless of the patterns and the pathways that we've developed. My God can renew our minds and we can see his will fleshed out in our future. And I love what verse three says. Christian, would you jump there? It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So when he says, you've encountered God's mercy, you want to renew your mind. You want to be connected in, in, with God's people, offering your brothers and sisters in view of this, offering your bodies as, as a living sacrifice, renewing your mind so that you can grow. The way that you're gonna do this is by recognizing how you're connected. If you want to grow, you're going to recognize that, hey, guess what? You've got a grace in your life, Maurice, that I need. And I've got something that God's given me, a grace that I'm going to operate with. And I'm not going to compare my grace to yours. Candy and I, we, I say this more often than I probably should even admit. But we'll look at each other and, and we, I try to use verbiage that will just keep ourselves in check, keep our heart in check. And I know we have our own blind spots. So hopefully we've got other people doing that too. But as soon as we think like, Oh, I know, we, we sure are loving our kids well, aren't we? And, and, you know, whatever. We're responding to an adoption situation maybe different than someone else we know, and we're like, oh, that really hurts. And I'll just say, I'll say a sentence like this to Candy, and I'm just like, I'm so glad we're getting everything right. I'm just really glad, you know, because we just have to keep ourselves in check, whether it's through being humorous about it or realizing, because we have blind spots whether we recognize it or not. And whether we want to see it, there's grace that we need to recognize that, hey, don't, don't, don't think you've got it all figured out or got it all together. This renewing of your mind is still happening and you need the grace in the people around you. You need to walk in tandem, hand in hand with each other to see that they have something that we need as well. Not thinking of ourselves, thinking of ourselves soberly, thinking of ourselves clearly. Thinking of ourselves just the way the Lord would see us, not, not squashing ourselves, not having a, a, a poor self-image, but just having a, a reality check on occasion. It's so good for us to see that we need the grace of those around us. The way I would tra translate this, I literally, I wrote this out for you guys. This is Clark's translation of verse three. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't oversell or undersell yourself, but instead think of yourself with clarity and self-awareness, sober judgment, according to what he has asked of you, according to what he has given you, according to how he has called you. Stay in your lane, get out of comparison, recognize your grace and gain, and gain strength from the grace of those around you. Amen. I believe that's what Paul is saying to us here. Yeah, there we go. I got Clark's translation up there. Yeah, this, this will be online, I'm sure, eventually. Clark's translation will be right after the message. Nobody's going to read it. But I believe that we sometimes just have to have that reality check and walking in life together. We need folks that will call us on that. We need people that will do it gently in the right way and, and say, hey, I, 
man, do you really think that was the best way? It seems like your margin's getting slim. The way you're talking about your, you're going home, you're more reactive. What are you doing? How's self-care going? What's going on in this area? Who are your folks that you're walking in grace with that are able to walk with you in a way that will hold you to the carpet, that will keep you in your lane in response to God's mercy, in renewing your life and mind, and seeing what he wants to do as we walk in this together so that we can grow to the fullness of what he has. First Peter 2, as I come closer to the end, closer than I was a minute ago. First Peter 2, he says this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. For Levi, it's lactose-free milk, so that it by it you may grow up in your salvation. I think a lot of times we take this verse and we think that this is related to spiritual immaturity. How many of you have thought that? I have. I've thought that this verse is related to spiritual immaturity, like newborn babies crave spiritual, uh, pure spiritual milk, talking about the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And really, the author here is talking about craving that which will help you grow desiring something that will help you continue to move forward in your development. And he just compares it. He uses a child and how he'll just crave that milk, how he'll desire that which will bring him the, the nutrition and the nutrients that he needs to develop in that stage of his life. There's no other comparison than how a baby will long for that. And so he's saying, he's saying not, not that you are babies, but crave the things that will give you the nutrients for where God wants you to grow. And I'll tell you, sometimes that's one of the hardest places to start. You're like, but I don't have, I don't have the desire. I don't have the hunger yet. Ask the Lord to put it there. Ask him that he would reveal himself to you in your life. Because go to verse three. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Sometimes our craving isn't a lack of just desire, but of lack of having tasted. Because we'll begin to crave and desire that which we have consumed. If I eat more sugar and junk food, believe me, I'm gonna crave more sugar and junk food. It works in the inverse as well as for the positive, healthy alternatives in our life. If I'm on Whole30 with my wife, with thank the Lord, we started last year on that, but not this year. And so, but I saw that there were things that I was craving and tasted way better than they ever had in my entire life. If I want to grow in the Lord, I need to continue to say, God, I want a taste of you today. Before, before I get in the busyness of my day, before I get distracted with everything else, Lord, I just want to meet with you. I want to hear from you. I want to, I want to digest your word. I want to taste and see. Begin to crave the things that are going to cause you to grow in the ways that God wants you to. Amen? And landing this plane, I'm going to land it with Ephesians 4. Is Bruce still back there? Bruce, would you play some snazzy white ivories over here? He's going to play the piano, and it's going to make these words sound so much better. But Ephesians 4, if you'll jump to verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm going to read a chunk of Scripture here, and then I'm going to summarize real well. There is one body and one Spirit. It's talking about unity here. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us in verse 7, he says, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. In this passage, he's talking about how recognize your connection and need for the body. We're all part of the same family. We're not competing. We don't need to compare. We can walk in and enjoy and benefit 
and be strengthened by the grace of those that are around us, gleaning from what you have to offer in my race as I stay in my lane and as I'm encouraged by you and yours and we're able to support one another in this process. And then he goes to verse 11. So Christ himself has given us these offices, I would say, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they have a, they have a purpose in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. So that, so that the body of Christ may grow, so that we may grow, so that we may be built up. When we encounter the Lord, we see that we are connected to one another, that we are in the same faith family. And we recognize the grace that each one has been given, whether it's an office of, of, of preaching or speaking, but we're all called together to do the works of service, to leave this building and to minister to our world, to literally take the good news in the light of Christ and shine it in this dark world. That's not what my job is when I leave here. That's what our job is when we leave here. And we do this as we grow together. That the body of Christ may be built up because I'll be honest, these empty seats, Pastor James used to say it all the time, they represent the ones in our community who have not yet responded to be a part of this family of God. They represent the ones that you've been praying for and believing for, you work with, they're, they're, you might be related to the ones that you constantly see where you shop and gas and all the things in our normal routine. These represent the ones that God wants to equip us to walk out of here and to invite and invest and include in the family of God for the purposes that he has for them. It says until verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. We're talking about growing up attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And Paul does say here, then we will no longer be infants taught in our faith, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there. Because you know why? Because we're going to recognize the grace that we have in one another. We're going to begin to operate in the gifts that God has given us uniquely. And we're going to begin to grow. We're going to grow as individuals. We're going to grow as a body. We're going to grow as we see the kingdom of God established here on earth as it is in heaven, amen? Would you pray with me? I believe there's some of you that are being called to serve, that are being called to, to do the works of service and maybe you're just, you've, you've kind of set back and maybe nobody's given you opportunity. And, and I tell you, there's, I think there's people that are always sitting on rows that are meant to live life in circles, but there's also people here that I know God has given you gifts and talents that you have not yet tapped into. And Lord, I'm just going to ask that you would begin to continue to stir that gift, that calling in each one of us, that we would fan it into flame as you have placed the embers there. Lord, that we would recognize in our time with you that you have called us, some to serve right here with our kids' ministry, some to serve with our outreach, some to even serve by starting a, a, the men's ministry uh, again this year, and others to serve in life groups and on the worship team, and others, Lord, to evangelize their neighbor and to share the good news with their coworker. But God, I believe you have called each one of us this year to recognize the vision for our life, to be connected to your people, to walk in victory and fullness, but Lord, to see others discover their potential and their identity in you, God. Use us. Use us in this room, Lord. 
from our encounter, our connection, that we would grow. If you're in this place this morning and you say, Michael, I'm just going through a hard, I'm going through a deep, deep, dark season in my life. I need special prayer. There are some things that you need someone else to say, I need other people's grace right now. I'm barely keeping my head above water. If that's where you're at right now, I want to be praying for you this week. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody looking around. I just want to pray for you. You need special prayer this week. I'm going to pray for all of us this morning. Lord, would you just again release your Holy Spirit in a fresh way in our lives. Pray that this would be a season of rest and renewal. Your word would come to life like it never has. Our moments with you, Lord, I pray that distraction and and busyness would not silence and drown out what you're trying to say to us. God, let our ears hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Transform us and change us to look more and more like you, Jesus. And use us. Use us. We pray. Make your face shine upon us and your peace be with us as we come and as we go. In your name I pray, amen and amen.